Genesis 22, verse 1 through 8. I want to talk this evening on the greatest test of all. The greatest test of all. I want to say up front that you may have walked in here tonight and you're going through something difficult and I believe this message will help you. You may have walked in here tonight and your life right now, it's at peace and everything's fine in your life and you might not really need this message a whole lot right now, but here's what I say to you, kind of store it away because you'll need it in the future. You've heard me say before that we kind of live life in one of three places. We're in a storm, coming out of a storm, or about to go in a storm. And so if you don't need this right now, just store it away somewhere and hold on to it for later. Because sooner or later you're going to face a test in life. You're going to face a test of your faith. And I can testify to that. There have been times in my life where God has put me through things where it's tested my faith. When I've had to pack up my family and leave my job and go do what God's called me to do, it's been a test of my faith. When Isabella was born and did not know until after she was born that a doctor looks at you and says, we think she has Down syndrome, that is a test of your faith. And you have to wait two weeks for the results to find out whether or not your child's going to have a mental disease that she's going to have for the rest of her life that a doctor can't do anything for. There's nothing that they can prescribe. There's no treatment that they can give that the only way that she'll ever be fixed of that is for God to intervene and correct it. That is a test of your faith. And then you start hearing about all the problems and all the things that could go wrong because of that disease in her life. That is a test of your faith. And so I've been there And so tonight we're going to look at Abraham as God tells him, you need to go and take Isaac, your only son, the one you love, and you need to offer him to me. You need to give him to me. And we're going to see how Abraham's faith is tested, and we're going to see that that's the greatest test of all. Genesis 22, beginning at verse 1 through verse 8, it'll be on the screen. It's also on your outline. So let's look at the text. It says, Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And let me just pause for a moment and notice that he says, your only son Isaac. And you may be thinking, what about Ishmael? Isn't Ishmael Abraham's son? And we know that Ishmael was the son of Abraham. But notice that he's only referring to Isaac. Why? Because God does not recognize the works of the flesh. And so Isaac was the promised son, and so God tells him, and he clarifies him so that Abraham knows, I want Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the land for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the land for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Genesis 22 records the greatest test that Abraham ever faced in his life. And I believe from this passage he teaches us how to face and handle the test of life to the glory of God. So the very first point I want to give you tonight as we look into this test that he faces is simply this. Expect test from God. Expect test from God. And I want to say up front that this is where a lot of believers struggle. Many believers feel that following God should be without pain and problems. A lot of believers feel that if I give my life to Jesus, if I give my heart to God and follow Him, that I shouldn't have problems, I shouldn't have pain, I shouldn't have difficulty, and I shouldn't have storms. Somehow people have bought into this lie that if I follow God, it should give me a pass from having storms and it should give me a pass from having difficulty in my life. But the Bible tells us that we're going to have trials and we're going to have tribulation and we're going to have sorrow and it shouldn't surprise us when bad days and tribulation come into our lives. Jesus tells us in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He tells us very plainly, hey, you're going to have trouble in this world. But notice what he says next. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Aren't you thankful for that? That we're going to have trouble, we're going to have sorrow, we're going to have days of sadness, we're going to have days of grief, but in Him we can have victory and we can overcome. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But yet so many times when fiery trials and problems come, we act like it's a shock to us because we're having to go through times of testing. But Peter says, don't think it's strange when you're going through problems. Don't think it's strange when all of a sudden your faith is being tested. Don't let it surprise you when all of a sudden you're up against a problem in your life. Hear me well tonight. The Christian life is a series of trials and tests because these reveal and strengthen our faith. In fact, somebody once said this, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If God can't test your faith, then God can't really trust your faith. Think about that. And so here's the thing. If we're going to pass God's test... We've got to expect God to test our faith. They're a part of life. So look again at Genesis 22, verse 1 and 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replied, Here I am. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about. Notice it tells us plainly, God tested Abraham. Abraham. 
From the very beginning of Abraham's journey of faith, Abraham has had his share of tests. First of all, he had the family test when God told him, leave your family, leave your father's home, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Abraham, right off the bat, had to face a test. He had to leave everything that was comfortable, everything that was familiar, and go to a place that he did not know he was going, but thankfully he passed the test and left and went where God was leading him to go. But then he had what I want to call the famine test. A famine comes along and instead of trusting God and believing God to provide for him and take care of him, the Bible says he went down to Egypt rather than trust God. Guess what? He failed the famine test. Those are just a couple of tests that he had to go through during his journey. He also had the fatherhood test. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many people. But yet he and Sarah schemed, hey, God's not moving quick enough. And so, hey, take Hagar and let's have a son that way. And he failed that test. He didn't wait on God. Those are just a few of the tests that he's had to go through in his journey of Faith, and can I tell you that when you trust Jesus and you, uh, He becomes Lord and Savior of your life, you enroll in the school of faith, and you're going to have tests along the way. And here's the thing: we don't like tests, do we? But if you're going to follow God, and if you're going to have a walk of faith and a journey of faith, you're going to have times of testing. But here in chapter 22, this is the greatest test that Abraham's going to have to face. God tells him, take your son Isaac, your only son, and he clarifies the one that you love. Take him to the region of Moriah. Take him to the mountain that I'm going to show you and offer him as a sacrifice. But we notice here in the text as we read it, Abraham passes the test. And so from this time of testing, there's one observation I want to give you and there's one question that I want us to look at tonight. Here's the observation. God tests His people, but He never tempts His people. God tests His people, but He never tempts His people. Look at James 1.13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. Here's the thing. God will test us, but He will never tempt us. In other words, God will never solicit us to do wrong. God will never solicit us to do evil. Why? Because God is too holy to be tempted, and God is too loving to solicit us to do wrong. God would never solicit us to do anything to violate His Word and to violate His character. Here's what Warren Wiersbe said. Temptations come from our desires within us while trials come from the Lord who has a special purpose to fulfill. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us, but trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. In other words, there's a difference between times of testing and times of temptation. Temptations bring out the, be- the worst in you, but trials are designed to bring out the best in you. Trials are used by God. Temptation is used by the devil. Here's the thing. Tests are not temptations. They are not designed to cause us to fail. Tests are intended to let us succeed. They are designed to show us approved. They give us opportunity to show what we have learned. 
A test from God is always an opportunity to demonstrate faith. In fact, let me say this. A test, in a sense, is a compliment. It is showing that God wants to promote you in your walk with Him. God's wanting to take you to another level. Amen? That's why God brings tests. Because God's wanting to take you a little bit higher. God's wanting to do something greater in your life. That's why God allows trials in times of testing. Now let me just say this. Every problem you face is not a test. Sometimes it's just you being foolish. Amen? I'll say it like this. You you heard me say that when God called me into ministry, there were times I had to leave my family, leave a job and move. Those were times of testing where God stretching me. My, my, My child being born with Down syndrome, those are times of testing. But here's the thing, if I take my paycheck and, and go blow it and shop and spend all this money, then I'm sitting in the dark because I can't pay my light bill. That's not God testing me. That's me being foolish. Amen. Does that make sense? I, I can't sit over there in the dark because I, I went and spent my money saying, hey, well, God's testing me. No. Or because I went and blew my money and they come repossess the car and said, hey, God's testing me. No. That, that, that's just being foolish. Excuse me. It's getting warm. So there's a difference between trials and temptation. And we have to distinguish between the two. We have to be willing to say, God, is this you testing me? Is this you trying to do something in me? Or is this something I've brought upon myself? Or is this something the enemy's trying to do in my life? So that leads me to the question, why does God test us? Let me give you several reasons, but let me first of all say that the purpose of testing is always for our benefit. You see, God doesn't test us to hurt us, but to help us. God tests us to develop us, not destroy us. You see, there are some people out there who want to say, well, God always wants me happy. No, God wants you holy. God's more concerned with your character than He is your happiness. Amen? And so God is about developing us. God is about us growing. God is about us maturing. And so let me give you some things that that takes place when God allows us to be tested. First of all, it develops patience or endurance. This is why God tests us. He wants to develop patience and endurance in our lives. Look at James 1, verse 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever, not notice that, not, not if, but whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. If you've got a Bible, it might, have, it might say patience. This word perseverance, here's what it means. The power to withstand hardship or stress, especially the inward fortitude necessary. Here's what the Strong's lexicon means. In the New Testament, this is the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Times of testing, times of trials gives us 
perseverance. It gives us the ability to endure. That when we're going through something, it produces the ability to endure and keep on going through it. Let me say it like this. It gives you stability. It gives you a firm foundation to kind of... Let me say it like this. It gives you a stick to if that's a word. Maybe I just made up a word. I don't know. That's what problems, that's what, that's what trials and testing does. It gives you the ability to keep on keeping on. Amen? Like the Energizer Bunny, you just keep going. That's what testing does. You just keep going. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, testing just gives you strength to keep on going and keep on going. You don't run out. You don't give up. You don't throw in the towel. You keep on going and keep on fighting. That's what God does in your life. You become stronger. Amen? You see, that's why you're still here today. Because each time God's made you stronger and stronger and He's built perseverance and endurance in your life. But secondly, spiritual maturity. Testing and trials build spiritual maturity and growth. Look at James 1.4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says you're going to be mature or as the King James says, perfect and you're going to be complete. Here's what that means. Wanting nothing. Being whole. Full grown. Of full age. It can even mean without blemish. That's what trials do. Helps us to grow up. Can I just say something to us tonight? God doesn't just want you to grow old in your faith. God wants you to grow up in your faith. You see, growing old is inevitable. Growing up's optional. There's been a lot of people that they grow old, but not really grow up. God wants you to grow up. And that's the purpose of trials, that we grow up. And here's the thing. You don't grow without some struggle in your life. I talked about it here just a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning that if you want your muscles to grow, there has to be some resistance. Bodybuilders and weightlifters, they know that, that if I want my muscles to grow, I have to have some resistance. I have to have some kind of Resistance. I have to have something that's going to be pushing back against me, working against me, so that I can build some strength. Do you know how pearls are formed? Pearls are formed because of an irritant that gets inside of the clam. Something gets on the inside of the clam that begins to irritate it. And it secretes some kind of liquid to cover the irritant. And it keeps secreting that liquid over until a pearl is formed but it all starts with an irritant and here's the thing some of you may have walked in here and you've got an irritant in your life and you're trying to pray God get this irritant out of my life but God's put that irritant there to try to make you stronger You want to know how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? It's inside that cocoon that the wings become strong enough for it to fly. 
If you break that caterpillar out of that cocoon too soon, that caterpillar will die or the wings will not be formed enough and strong enough for it to fly away. And you've caused harm to it. We say we want to grow and want to be everything that God wants us to be, but here's the thing. We don't want the struggle. But you can't have any kind of gain or growth without struggle. Amen. Here's another thing. Spiritual purification. Spiritual purification takes place because of times of testing. Psalm 66 verse 10, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Job 23 verse 10, He knows the way that I take when He has tested me. I shall come forth as gold. 1 Peter 1 verse 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. Notice that. He says your faith is of greater value than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials and times of testing purge and purify the impurities from our lives. You see, if they want to purify gold, they have to heat it up so that all the impurities rise to the top and then they'll skim off those impurities. And so that's the same way God does with us. He'll let times of testing come and He'll turn up the heat in our lives so that all the impurities rise to the top so that He can get them out of our lives. But here's another thing. Trials teach us humility and it shows us what's in our hearts. Look at Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep His commands. Notice that, to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. This doesn't mean that God had to test them to know what was in the heart, but it's so that they would know what was in their heart. You see, God allows us to go through times of testing to humble us so that we can learn the truth about ourselves. God wants you to see you the way He sees you. And so He brings the past circumstances that reveal the hidden areas of our lives. But finally, surrender. God allows times of testing and trials to come for surrender. And I believe that this is God's ultimate goal for times of testing. To bring us to the point of ultimate surrender to Him. And I believe that this is the main point of Genesis chapter 22. I know that God asked Abraham for Isaac, but can I tell you what I believe God really wanted from Abraham? Abraham. He wanted to know, Abraham, do I really have you? Because here's the thing, and I'm just posing this as a hypothetical question, but could it be that Abraham had become so attached to Isaac that God now says, you need to give Isaac back to me? Could it be possible that Abraham had fallen so in love with Isaac that he had forgotten about the promise God had made with him? 
And so God now comes to test him. Look at verse 12 of Genesis 22. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now we know that God knows all things. But this is put in language so that we can understand. I know now that you fear me. I now know that I have all of you. Hear me well. God will not not allow anything to take His place in our lives. And if anything begins to take His place, He may just allow times of testing to come get our attention so that we'll surrender to Him again. So I want to ask you, is there anything in your life that God is asking you to give up? Or could I say it this way, what is your Isaac? What's your Isaac? And are you willing to give it up so you can experience His blessing? If we'll be honest, we all have an Isaac. Something that God's given to us. And if we aren't careful, and it comes before God, God may say, it's time for you to give me your Isaac. Not that God's really wanting it, but God's wanting to know, do I have you? Because that's what God wants is surrender. Amen? God will test our faith just like He tested Abraham's faith. And I wish that I could tell you that following Him will be all sunshine and rainbows. But it's not. But I will tell you this before we move on. God will never send you a test until He knows you're ready for it. Amen. He'll never send you into a test until He knows you're ready for it. Which leads me to my second point tonight. God's test can be passed. God's test can be passed. Listen, God never sends a test for you to fail it. God does not set us up to fail. Amen. He doesn't set us up to fail. I want you to think about how unreasonable God's request was. Sacrifice your child. How unloving does that seem to be of God? Isaac was Abraham's only son. It was the, he was the future of the covenant. It all rested on Isaac. Isaac was a miracle child, the gift of God to Abraham and Sarah in response to their faith. Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac very much. They built their whole future around Isaac. And so when God asked Abraham to offer his son, he was testing Abraham's faith, hope, and love. And it looked like God was wiping out everything Abraham and Sarah had lived for. But Abraham heard God's word and obeyed immediately, and he passed the greatest test of his life. From these verses, there are some lessons on how to handle the times of testing. First of all, you need to determine, determine to be obedient. If you're going to pass the test that God is bringing into your life, first of all, you have to determine to be obedient. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Abraham, he's told to sacrifice his son. And rather than hesitate, he gets up early to obey. I don't know if he gets up early because he had a sleepless night. But he heard from God and his first response is to be obedient to God's word. 
He didn't ask why. He didn't debate. He doesn't delay and use any kind of stalling tactics. He promptly obeys God. When trials come, we have to determine that we're going to obey God no matter what. And hear me, if you don't know what to do during the time of testing, ask God for wisdom. If you're here tonight going through a time of testing, if you're here tonight going through a trial and you're saying, I don't know what God wants me to do, ask God what He wants you to do. Ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Here, in fact, let me say this. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything until you know what to do, until God speaks to you. Amen? Because you'll make a bigger mess than what you're already going through. Amen? So find out what God wants you to do. And when God responds, determine that you're going to obey Him. But secondly, walk by faith, not by feelings. Walk by faith, not by feelings. Just because Abraham doesn't say anything and immediately obeys God doesn't mean that he's not hurting. The text doesn't tell us anything about his feelings, but I imagine he doesn't feel like killing his son. He's a father. In fact, God says, take your son, your only son, the one you love. So he loved Isaac dearly. And I imagine he's not wanting to kill him. I imagine he doesn't feel like taking a knife and running it through the chest of his son. I imagine he's hurting. I imagine he's heartbroken. I imagine that he's full of anguish. But regardless of how he feels, he's walking by faith. He's responding to God's word based on the promise of God. Look at verse 4 and 5. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now notice this. We will worship and then we will come back to you. For three days, Abraham has had a chance to think about what he has to do. Think about that. For three days' journey, he's had to think about what he's got to do. Many of us would have backed out by now, wouldn't we? But for three days, he's been walking or riding on a donkey, however they traveled. And it's been replaying in his mind. I've got to put a knife through my boy. But he gets to the place. He tells the servants, stay here with the donkey. But he says these words, we're going to, we're going to worship. Now, he, now he, he's not talking about going to go to the mountain and have a joyful celebration. What that literally means, we're going to go bow down before God. We're going to go bow before God. But he says, we will come back to you. He believed that even if God allowed him to slay his son, God would raise Isaac from the dead. He so believed God's promise that he didn't have any intentions of bringing back a corpse. He's not allowing his feelings to get the best of him. He's walking by faith. You see, whatever he may have felt for those three days, he didn't let his feelings get the best of him. He believed the promise of God. Can I just say something to you tonight? When you're going through the worst time of your life, you can't let your feelings get the best of you. Because your feelings can change in a moment. 
They'll change in an instant. That's why you can't let your life be ruled by your feelings and your emotions. But you've got to have faith in God. Look at verse 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And notice this, I found this fascinating. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, as we continue on in our journey through this chapter, probably next week, we'll talk about this more, but I want you to notice the submissiveness of Isaac. This is a clear picture of Calvary and the submissiveness of Jesus to his father. But Isaac, he's not, the text calls him a lad or a boy, but here's the thing, he's not just a little boy. He's big enough to carry a load of wood up a mountain. In fact, many scholars think he's probably a young man, maybe in his 30s. He could have easily gotten away from his father or probably wrestled his father to the ground. But he's submissive to his father. And the fact that you'll read later in the chapter that he stands there while his father binds him hand and feet and puts him on the altar. Again, just a clear picture of Jesus on the cross. We'll talk more about it in the weeks to come. But Abraham clearly says, God will provide a lamb. He didn't know how God would provide, but he knew that God would provide. He's a man of faith. And here's the thing. From the time God called him back at the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12, God's been building his faith, preparing him for this moment. Abraham had complete confidence in the promise of God. Abraham knew that God had promised to bring him descendants through Isaac. So somehow God's going to fulfill His promise even though it seemed that what God was asking Him would make that an impossibility. Here's the thing. Abraham had learned that in those times when he didn't understand the situation, he had to trust the one who had promised to guide and direct him. Even when he didn't understand the why, he trusted the who. Let me say that again. Even when he didn't understand the why, he trusted the who. And I want to say that to you. When you don't understand the why, you can always trust the who. Amen. When you don't understand the why, when it don't make sense, you can always trust the who. Amen. Because here's the thing. Faith never rests in explanation. Faith always rests in promises. Because here's the thing. When times of testing come, our first question is always, God, why? Why? Faith never asks for explanations. Faith always rests in promises. You believe what God said. You trust what God said. In times of testing, you can't trust your feelings. You have to trust God and what He said. You have to walk by faith. You have to trust His promises. 
Don't ever trust your feelings when it doesn't make sense. When you don't know how everything's going to work out, trust God. Trust His Word. But let me give you one more thing, or a couple more things here. I'll close. You have to adopt the right attitude. You have to adopt the right attitude. Again, nothing is said in this passage about Abraham feels, but there's also nothing in this passage that shows Abraham having a bad attitude. And we just have to kind of pick up on that by way of implication. Let me say it this way. He's probably hurting on the inside, grieving on the inside, but here's the thing. You don't find anything in this chapter where he's grumbling and complaining on the outside. But can I tell you what most of us do when trials and testing comes? We grumble and we complain. Why me, God? Why is this happening right now? But this man's just been asked to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he's hurting. But you don't find anywhere where he's saying, God, why? He's being humble. He's being submissive. And he's walking by faith. When trials come and tests come, it's not a time to grumble. It's not a time to complain. It's a time to be submissive to God. It's a time to humble yourself before God and say, God, what do you want to do in my life? In fact, instead of asking God, why me? Why not say to God, why not me? Why not me? It's a time of reflection. God, what is there in my life that may, maybe shouldn't be in my life that you're trying to get rid of? What have I put ahead of you that you're wanting to remove from my life? Here's what I've often come to find out in my own life, that when I begin to grumble and complain, I usually have to take another lap around the desert. I have to stay a little longer in the test. Because here's the thing, anytime you fail a test, it's not the teacher's fault. Anytime in school I failed a test, it was never the teacher's fault. Amen? It was never the teacher's fault. It was always my fault. And listen, anytime you fail a test, it's never God's fault. And here's the thing God will let you have retakes. You'll have do-overs. You'll have make-up exams. I've had to have some make-up exams. James even tells us that count it all joy when you fall. I don't expect Abraham to be jumping up and down during this test. Sometimes you just stay quiet and you reflect. You look in. Sometimes you just, you're broken. Okay, God, what do you want to do? And you let God move. You let God work. But here's the thing. The Bible says He's near to those that are broken and of a contrite spirit. 
But as long as you grumble and complain and try to fix it and try to work it out yourself, God can't be near. But if you'll submit and let Him work and seek wisdom, you'll find out that God will show up and God will bless you. You'll find out that there's a ram over there in the thicket that God's provided. God has a blessing. Amen. You'll just find out that if you'll submit to what God wants to do, that God's got a blessing over there waiting. Final thing I want to give you. How to handle tests and trials is simply this. Separate from those who would keep you from doing the right thing. In verse 5, the text tells us that he left the servants with the donkey. And only he and Isaac went up the mountain. I think Abraham told the servants to stay there while he and Isaac went to offer the sacrifice because if he let the servants go, they'd try to stop him. They would probably think, Abraham, you're out of your mind. You're crazy to go and sacrifice your son. And they would have kept him from placing his son on the altar. Wouldn't you? If you had been one of his servants and went up on the mountain and seen him tying up his son, putting him on the altar and raising a knife, you would have done everything in your power to try to stop him from doing what God had told him to do. And so he left his servants. They would have said, you've lost your ever-loving mind. And they would have tried to subdue him for his own good. They would have tried to put him in a padded white room. (laughs) Here's the thing. During times of testing as God is working in our lives, we don't need people in our lives telling us to ignore what God's trying to teach us. Let me just say this. Some of you might be married to the person trying to keep you from learning what God's trying. I'm not telling you to go out and get divorced. Please don't misunderstand me. But when God is trying to eliminate something from your life, you don't need someone there trying to tell you to hold on to it. Amen. You don't need friends and people around you when God's trying to remove something and get something away from you saying, hey, it's okay, just hold on to it a little bit longer. You don't need those people around you. Sometimes effective discipleship begins with subtraction. Amen. Sometimes we have to eliminate some things before we can really do the things that lead to holy living. So here's the thing. Don't let anyone be a hindrance to what God wants to do in your life. A spouse, a a child, a friend. don't, Don't let anybody be a hindrance to what God wants to do in your life. Separate yourself from people. So that God can have His way in your life. In closing, God will test our faith just as He tested Abraham's faith. We may not face a test as severe as Abraham did, but we can be certain that our faith will be tested. And I will say that as parents, as grandparents, there will be times our kids will test our faith. We may feel like taking them out sometimes. But we're all going to have our faith tested. But here's what I know. When they come, we can't get through them. 
And we will be better because of them. Amen. Would you stand with me?